0: This is the Village Church Q and A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome.
1: It's episode four thirty seven on the Village Church Q and A podcast. Pastor Michael in the studio with Pastor Craig Jarvis's hair, and uh, we're just the hair. Oh, just the hair. Pastor Craig is in here. Nope. No, and uh, today, the Craig, the bouffant
0: of all wisdom. Oh,
1: I like that. The bouffant of all wisdom. I'm gonna that use is... that from now on. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, that's a, that's a good tagline. Um, so we have a question today, and uh, yesterday, my son X he posed the question for us. So let's hear let's hear the question from the mouth of a four year old. How do I know if somebody is filled with a spirit? All right. So now you have to answer this question in a way that makes sense to a four year old. That was
0: incredibly cute. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure he's related to you? I don't think so. <laughs> so innocent, so gentle, know, so so right? kind.
1: How do you know somebody has the holy spirit? I love it. Um so Craig, what what do you say? How do you how do you discern this?
0: Being filled with the holy spirit, well, at the point of salvation, we that is the change that takes place. It's what we refer to in theological terms as justification. We are at the point of our sins no longer define us, we're filled with the holy spirit. That takes place at salvation. It is not an active thing on our part. It is a an active thing on God's part. The Holy Spirit draws us. The Holy Spirit fills us. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, as we live our Christian lives, we have the ability to stifle the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. We call that searing the Holy Spirit. We mm, call it quenching quenching the Holy Spirit. There's lots of biblical terms for what that looks like. But the Holy Spirit is is in us and redeeming us, giving us a new name and a new nature, and that is waiting to come out of any believer. The Holy Spirit never drops the ball. Only believers really drop the ball or get in the way of what he's doing. The fruit of the Spirit is listed in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. We have those abilities, and they're called the fruit of the Spirit, singular, because it's a package deal. You just don't become loving and not patient. It is who the Holy Spirit is. Therefore, it is who you are. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says to walk in the Spirit. Uh, In other words, uh, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, meaning that that is the process of sanctification. That is the process of us allowing the Holy Spirit to make us more into the image of Christ. As we live our lives, that is the process we have the ability to stifle or get out of the way and allow it to happen. So filled with the spirit at the point of salvation, but controlled by the spirit might be a better way to understand it later in life. Mm-hmm. How do you know somebody is filled with the spirit? How do you know that somebody has the spirit? Mm. Do they bear the fruit of the spirit?
1: Mm. So the first thing is you mentioned at the point of justification that when you trust in Christ, so if somebody rejects Jesus, do they have the Holy spirit? No. Right. And then what do you do in these circumstances um, where, it seems like in scripture, sometimes the apostle Paul talks like, uh, some people are going to make it by the hair of their chinny chin chin, yep. you know, by the skin of their teeth. Yep. I mean, it's like so close yep. and on an earthly level, you look at them and maybe, maybe even let's say you have somebody and they're, they're not progressing in their faith, but they're digressing or regressing in their faith. And, um, is that something that can happen to somebody who genuinely has the Holy spirit?
0: We have examples of that in Scripture numerous times. Of course, the one that maybe comes to everybody's mind is David, right? Yeah. He's a man after God's own heart. That's right in Scripture. Yep. And yet he commits this incredible sin with Bathsheba and then follows it up with a murder for dessert. I mean— he, For dessert. He is he, he <laughs> the That's appetizer of the meal and the dessert of sin, and he brings Joab into the whole yep. process. He makes his best friend sin with him. It is heart-wrenching. What about like New
1: Testament? Because now I'm getting a little I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm just gonna be the critic for a moment, right? I'm like, okay, that's Old Testament, different rules. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in the same way we do. There's a new indwelling with the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Is this something that is reasonable to expect that somebody could be filled with the Holy Spirit and yet begin a season of downward trajectory? They're not rejecting Jesus, but their character or their behavior. Seems to be regressing.
0: So the interesting thing in scripture is that it never gives a doorway for that to happen. It never says, now expect this to occur. Right. What it does tell us is expect to become more like Christ. Mm -hmm. That's what we can expect. If our regular trajectory is downward, the question we need to be asking is not, Am I filled with the Spirit? The question we need to be asking is, was I ever filled with Spirit to begin with? Did I ever have that conversion in my life where I gave control of my life over to Jesus Christ? Because remember. The activity of the Holy Spirit is comforter, guide. You know, he—he's the one who seals us until the day of redemption. But he is working in us. If he's not working in us, then maybe we don't have him at all. So, so I would answer that question this way: Don't feel comfortable in your sin. Mm-hmm. If you're sinning and you're making that a regular pattern of of your life, um, be very afraid when you put your head on your pillow, because while I believe. That if you died, you would go to heaven if you belonged to Jesus Christ. If you're living an intentional sin and you're comfortable with it, and there's no, there's no pullback from the one who's supposed to be convicting us of our sin, which is part of what the Holy Spirit does. If that's not occurring in our lives, then we have no right to demand of God that He would call that that we belong to Him in the first place. In fact, Romans speaks largely against that, that we would trample the grace of God underfoot or how should, what should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Those kind, That kind of language is spoken against in Scripture. Now, did people in the New Testament have seasons of falling away and come back? Yeah, Peter. they did. Yeah, Peter is definitely one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. But again, the Holy Spirit had not come uh, at that point of time. I'm more thinking of like when Paul confronts Peter in uh, Galatians. Oh, yes, yeah.
1: And uh, he, he had regressed in his maturity and understanding of the gospel and how it applies itself to gentiles
0: yeah and so i'm not sure if that was a misunderstanding or a season of sin for him but it definitely underlines the fact that we can live in opposition to god's plan for our lives Mm -hmm. and that may include sin it may just include misunderstanding but ultimately the the holy spirit his whole job is to make us more like christ Mm -hmm. to give us the mind of jesus christ and if that's not happening we need to we need to sit up and take notice why that's not happening.
1: Yeah, so I'm a person who is uh, struggling in my faith, right? And uh, I believe, don't get me wrong, but these sin habits and patterns have been um, plaguing me, right? So I come to you and I say, do I have the Holy Spirit? Am I a real Christian? So there's two ways, like, generally to answer the question. Maybe there's like 10, but like two, like, we'll say pendulum swings. One would be, um, you know what? If you're struggling in your faith, I can't guarantee you do have the Holy Spirit. The other would be, you believe in Jesus, everybody has seasons, don't worry about it, you know? How do you discern? Because both could be true, right? Mm Because like somebody might be in a season of rebellion uh, and they might even be broken over it. But inevitably that season may culminate in them rejecting Jesus, right? Absolutely. On the other hand, somebody may be in a season of rebellion, have the Holy Spirit massively quenching it, and then the Holy Spirit is going to overcome
0: inevitably their resistance. And the Holy Spirit, as weird as this sounds, if he's at work within you, God can also use alternate forces to get his will done in you. Yep. When Paul the Apostle said, I've given these people over to Satan so they may, they may be taught not to blaspheme, we don't know if they're believers. We do know that they were at work with him in ministry. Mm-hmm. But at some point in time, they had ticked Paul off so much that he actually removed his his position over them, and he gave them over. 1 Corinthians 5, again, the same thing, speaking to Christians in the church. And it said, there's people among you that are living in sin to some point that you've got to judge them and make a, make a call so that you it doesn't look like you're condoning their behavior, but mm-hmm. you need to let God do what he needs to do in their life. So you need to remove yourself from them so that God can actually do something through his Holy Spirit or alternate forces in order to get that mission accomplished. How do you know which the encourager or the prophet, like how do you know which posture to
1: take when someone comes to you? Because if someone's worried whether or not they have the Holy Spirit, how do you personally discern which, because I I don't go prophet with everybody. I don't go encourager. Some people need to be genuinely like,
0: bro, you are treading on very dangerous ground right now. I love the example of the Pharisees. When Jesus talked to the woman caught in adultery, it was with gentle, gracious, loving tones. But when he talked to the Pharisees, it was always whitewashed sepulchre, sons of Belial, <laughs> you know, the serpents. Yeah. Son of the devil. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
1: someone's calling. Yeah. Oh, look. Maybe. That's happened last time we were in the studio together, didn't yeah. it? Actually? I think the last thing I said was make sure you turn off your phone. But anyway. I, I repent again. <laughs> I repent again. It's like the story of my life with you is I'm sorry. <laughs> so, I, I was wrong. Yeah. You're right. Well, me too.
0: Yeah, me too. not really. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so. You and I as pastors have a very difficult call to look at somebody and say, do I need to be direct with them? Do I need to play the prophet with them? Or do I need to be very gentle and loving Mm -hmm. with them? And probably you and I both revert to let's be gentle and loving, you know, first of all. Is that us? Is that how we do it? (laughs) That might be more you than me. But anyway, uh, Jesus seems to treat the ones that should know better with greater responsibility. The, the the Pharisees should have known better. Knowledge amplifies accountability. Yeah. Bam. And if they are living in outright sin and they know better, and I think this is what Hebrews 6 talks about and why it's so difficult to understand because they have tasted and seen the goodness of God and have turned their backs yeah. on it, there's no way home for those prodigals. And that's in God's purview. That's yeah. not in my purview. It's And it's tough, but it's our job, not just as pastors, but as family members and friends to look at somebody and say, as your brother in Christ, or or maybe I'm not sure if you're a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, but I got to have a conversation with you. You're going down a difficult path, and there's no way the Holy Spirit is leading you down that path. So we've answered the
1: question directly, but I want to answer the question indirectly because the person says, how do you know someone, now they're talking about outside of themselves. Um, initially, we answered it, how do I know if I do? And we dabbled a bit in them, right? But now we have the Christian who is taking the posture of of judger or discerner of the Holy Spirit in someone else, which is biblical too? Yeah. So, how do I know whether or not I should make that decision, discern or judge that? Should I? And
0: what's the role of the of the Christian discerning or judging another Christian on that level? Again, going back to First Corinthians five, a very difficult passage about outright sin in a family's life in the church. And Paul uses terms in there that are, you just can't ignore. He says, you should have judged these things by now. You should have made a judgment call and you should have
1: Judging taken a
0: stand. behavior or the presence of
1: the objective presence of the Holy Spirit in someone? Well, I think behavior demonstrates presence, doesn't it? I would say no, because if somebody has the, if it's plausible, which has probably happened in your life, it's definitely happened in my life where I have seasons of regression, Holy Spirit didn't leave, and my behavior uh, did not signify an absence of the Holy Spirit. It signified the presence of my quenching and my rebellion. Mm-hmm. And so this person, my concern—let me just be candid. My concern is that Christians are far too quick to evaluate someone else's salvation— I'd agree. —rather than their behavior. So I uh, put all my cards on the table. If somebody's in a place of rebellion, I'm not going to tell them they're going to hell unless they've rejected Jesus. But what I will tell them is— If you're going to live in active rebellion, I cannot give you any confidence.
0: That's exactly right. There's no door open for open rebellion in scripture. We're not even given a period of time. Okay, you can rebel for six months. Don't worry about it. But if you go beyond six months in one day, you're probably not in a good place. And let me just also read, this is one of my favorite passages in scripture. This is in Romans chapter two, and this goes along with the judgment call. I don't want anyone to hear me or you say, we need to go out and immediately start judging people whether or not the Holy Spirit is no, Because I didn't say it, neither did you. (laughs) Romans 2, after Romans 1, this this fall of humankind into this t- these sins, uh, Romans 2 starts with one word. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every or woman, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, mm. practice the very same things. We know the judgment of God mm. rightly falls on those who practice such things. Or do you suppose, O man, you'll judge those who practice such Not things? Not convenient for yourself. people who love to like, put
1: up signs about all of the sins mentioned in Romans 1, where it's right. like, you... You do these
0: things. You thing. do the same things. Yeah. That's great. And murder and disobedience of parents, yep. those are in the same list. Absolutely. So on God's level, these are all offenses. Mm. These are all counted That's as good. sin. That's a
1: good one. All right, Craig, will you come back tomorrow and uh, address this question? Why does Satan want to hurt us? Actually, this has been asked by my kids. Uh, oh, good. They're trying to rack their brain around why would why would Satan hate God? He's so good and they love him so much. Now, this was not from my kids, but uh, just to give you a a category, like this this is an everybody question. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't just an adult question. Somehow we got to give some adults actually categories to answer this for their kids too. So let's come back tomorrow. Why does Satan want to hurt us? We'll be with Pastor Craig.